Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a long week's break. Welcome back into the Student Section Podcast. It's going to be a loaded episode today. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot of college basketball. March is just a week away as we record this episode, but also we have an interview with Hofstra basketball head coach and 10-year NBA veteran, NBA champion, Speedy Claxton that I did for the Hofstra Chronicle. Took about an 8 to 10 minute piece of that interview and brought it over to this podcast for you guys, so I hope you enjoy that. We are now on YouTube. That's right. You can listen to every episode of this podcast on YouTube. Our YouTube is Student Section Sports. You can find us at youtube.com slash at Student Section Sports. You can always remember to follow us on Instagram at Student Section Pod and online at our website at the Student Section Net. That's all the shameless plugging for now, folks. We've got a fun episode of College Basketball Talk Ahead. Without further ado, let's do it. Enjoy the episode, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back in to another episode of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. This is episode number 16. It's Friday, the 24th of February, 2023. March is almost here, folks. Always remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. Subscribe to the show. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms, YouTube as well now. Download the show, share it, rate it with your friends, text it to your mom, we're going to have a blast on this episode. Um, as we mentioned, we have Hofstra men's basketball head coach Speedy Claxton, an interview with him. That'll be at the end of the episode. But for now, we have some pressing, pressing storylines in the world of college basketball. We've got battles on the bubble. We've got conference tournaments in just a week's time now. We have criminal charges being levied against current players. I mean, you could not make up the last couple weeks that we had in college basketball, and I'm so excited to bring it to you guys. So without further ado, let's get into my three storylines of the week. Let's have an episode. All right, so our first storyline of the week is a pretty big one, if I do say so myself, because for the first time since the NCAA tournament field expanded to 64 teams back in 1985, the preseason number one team in the country might just go ahead and miss the tournament. North Carolina entered this season as the unanimous number one team in the nation. They are now sitting with a record of 17 and 11, 9 and 8 in the ACC, but 0 and 9 against quad one opponents. They lack a signature win, and right now Joe Lenardi has them in the first four out. I mean, just incredible stuff out of Chapel Hill this year. It really shows the parody in college basketball. The constant beating up on of whoever the number one team is, but the, the Tar Heels have had a tough go of it this year. Obviously, 17 and 11, they don't have a win against the Quadrant One team, although people are quick to point to what happened with last year's North Carolina team as proof that this team should be in the tournament, regardless of resume. They snuck in as the eighth seed this last year. This year, they're most likely to do it if they make it as an 11 or 10 seed. And this team has the experience to make a run in March Madness. They start three seniors and a pair of juniors. They're top 10 nationally in D1 experience. That's, you know, players who have played the most minutes at the Division One level. They definitely are a team capable of making a run. But to me, they are way too 
wildly inconsistent to even consider right now in my bracket. Right now, I have them in my first four out. Last week, they were in the next four out. But, you know, they're playing good basketball. I'm not going to deny that. And a run through the ACC tournament could mean that North Carolina cracks the NCAA tournament. For now, I don't see it, but uh, definitely a team I would keep an eye on. Next up, I want to talk about the high-flying 305, the Miami Hurricanes. Few teams in the nation, if any, have a more electric backcourt than this team. You know, the high-flying guard duo of Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack has taken the ACC by storm this year. Miami's up to second in the conference standings, and they have had an offensive outburst for the ages in February. I mean, it's been incredible to see what this team does on the offensive end. They currently lead the conference in offensive efficiency, and that's largely due to the combined 30 points a game on 45% shooting from the star-studded backcourt of Pack and Wong. Pack's the more prolific shooter of the two. He's third in the conference in three-point shooting. Wong, the more pass-first guard. He's top 10 in assists per game. Guard, um, you know, I don't want to make any predictions early, but guard play is a major part of any deep tournament run, and the Canes could certainly find themselves in that situation if this duo keeps up the pace that they're on. It's going to be very interesting to see Miami and this duo play into March and see what they can accomplish. The next storyline and the final storyline of the week is a bit of a controversial one. And so I want to set the scene here by reading a direct statement made by CBS Sports on the situation. We're obviously going to be talking about the Brandon Miller case right now. So CBS says, The best player on the number two team in America faces increasing scrutiny and a firestorm of controversy after court testimony from police this week identified a link connecting Alabama freshman star Brandon Miller to an alleged murder that took place in January near the UA campus in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Miller has not been charged in the killing of 23-year-old Jamia Janae Harris, a mother of a five-year-old boy, but police testimony earlier this week alleges that he brought the gun used in the fatal shooting to now former teammate Darius Miles at the request of Miles, who then handed the gun to another individual who committed the murder. Both Miles and his accomplice, Michael Lynn Davis, are facing charges of capital murder. Miller provided the gun used to kill Harris, but the gun belonged to Miles, and Davis is believed to be the one who fired the shot that killed her, according to court documents. So, that's a mouthful, and I want to tread lightly on this because this is one of the the biggest stories um, in the college basketball landscape this week, and I want to go away from the Brandon Miller thing, and I want to talk more about what Nate Oates said, and if you haven't seen it, Um, It's on Twitter. It's all over the internet. People have been blasting him. And Nate Oates essentially said that Brandon's a good kid. Brandon did nothing wrong. We had no knowledge of Brandon doing anything wrong. And Brandon was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. No disciplinary action will be enforced for the moment. And again, I am obviously a big proponent of someone being innocent until proven guilty but I do believe the comments made by Nate Oates about wrong place, wrong time ended up coming across incredibly tone deaf. And th- those comments definitely um, definitely pissed off a lot of people, to put, it, to put it nicely. I mean, 
there is a firestorm on social media about this case. And, you know, Brandon Miller went out the next day, dropped 41 points in an overtime winner on South Carolina. But obviously, this is going to be the number one storyline surrounding this Alabama team as we head towards the tournament and as they go on their tournament run. It might affect them. It might not. I don't know. But I thought, you know, it's too big of a story to not talk about on this show. So I wanted to give my two cents. I don't really want to go into the the law aspect of the case because that's not my area of expertise. But I believe we've said all that needs to be said about this. Now moving on, we're going to talk about some teams on the bubble now. Bubble Watch is back. It was on the blog this week. Once again, read our weekly bubble watch on the studentsection.net. We're going to talk about some bubble teams on the podcast this week. So without further ado, let's do it. All right, fellas, it's bubble time. Obviously, we talked about the number one bubble team that I wanted to talk about, and that's North Carolina, but there are still plenty of teams that I wanted to give a little light to. Penn State's the first one, 17-11, in the Big Ten. There was a time this year where Micah Shrewsbury had the Nittany Lions playing perfect ball. They were 11-3 to start out. Now they're back in the first four out, according to Lenardi. They are 4-6 and six against quad one opponents, 3-5 and five against quad two. And uh, something really cool about Penn State is they are very close to achieving Ken Palm's infamous, if, you're in, if you ain't first, you're last, uh, four factors statistics. So they are fifth nationally in effective field goal percentage. That's one of the four factors. The others are turnover margin, rebounding percentage, and free throw shooting. They are first nationally in turnover percentage, dead last in rebounding percentage, and dead last in free throws attempted per field goals attempted. If they can get that effective field goal percentage down to or up to first, that would be unprecedented. Nobody's ever done that in the history of Kempom, as far as I'm concerned. So that's something kind of funny to look out for for Penn State. But as far as their resume, they are a team, once again, that not too long ago looked like one of the best teams in the country, 11-3 and out of the gate. It really looked like they were going to be a shoe-in for the NCAA tournament, really. And they have some key wins twice over Illinois, um, once over Iowa, once over Indiana. They've got good wins. They beat Michigan handily. But in there, they also have some very bad losses to teams like Nebraska, teams like Clemson, who has really fallen off, Virginia Tech, who has fallen off. Going to be very interesting to see if Penn State can crack the tournament. I ultimately think it's going to hinge upon the kind of run that they can put together in the Big Ten tournament. But 56th in the net, 58th in Ken Palm, with a 30th ranked strength of schedule. Definitely don't rule them out quite yet. Next up is the College of Charleston, who leads the nation in wins. It's very rare that the team that leads the nation and wins, we are talking about as a bubble team that may or may not crack the tournament, but that's the case with Charleston. 27-3, and 15-2 in the CAA. Pat Kelsey has this team playing elite basketball right uh, right now. They've won six straight. They're 54th in the net and 68th on Ken Palm. But people tend to knock on Charleston because their strength of schedule, 333rd in the nation. Their strength of record up to 43rd, though. Now, here's the thing with Charleston. You can point to their strength of record and say they don't play anybody, but the fact of the matter is they're 5-1 and one against teams that made the tournament in 2022. I believe that Charleston deserves at least a shot as long as they don't, you know, completely uh, put together a terrible performance in the CAA tournament. If they can make it to the tournament, or to tournament championship and lose to a team like Hofstra or a team, or a team like Towson, I don't see why 
they are not a tournament team. I watched the game against Towson Thursday night. It was an incredible game. Charleston played outstanding. I like Charleston as a tournament team. But moving on to our next team, um, I've got the Texas Tech Red Raiders. 16-12, 5-10 in the Big 12. And Mark Adams has done a heck of a job with this program in just his second year. You know... I think after Chris Beard left and going into this season when Texas Tech was 0-8 in the conference, these fans were just looking forward to next year. They didn't think there was a chance in hell that this team would be where they are right now. Since then, they've rattled four straight wins against quad one opponents off. Kansas State, Texas, West Virginia, and Oklahoma, their four most recent wins. I think Texas Tech... If they make a run through the Big 12 tournament, right now Lenardi's got them in the next four out, but they've got so many chances to prove themselves against quality opponents. The Big 12 is an absolute gauntlet this year, and I don't see why Texas Tech couldn't make the tournament, especially with games coming up against TCU, Kansas, and Oklahoma State before the regular season even ends. Then imagine if they go on a run in the Big 12 tournament, that's another couple quad one wins. Iron sharpens iron is the bottom line. And this team has been sharpened more than any bubble team in the country with the the type of talent they've been playing against on a regular basis. Uh, The next team I want to talk about is Michigan. Again, much like Texas Tech, Michigan is a team that with the start they were off to, few could have imagined them being in the position to make a, a run of the tournament right now, but that's exactly what's happened. They are 16 and 12, 10 and 7 in Big Ten play with the 53rd ranked strength, or a 53rd in the net, sorry, 44th in Ken Palm. Strength of schedule is 23rd in the country. And let me just tell you, they're the only team on the bubble that's top 50 nationally in offensive and defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. Now, much like the Red Raiders, this is a team that has three big chances to prove itself before the regular season ends with a home game against Wisconsin, then a trip to Champaign to play Illinois, and a trip to Bloomington to play Indiana at Assembly Hall. If they can come out of the regular season 19-12 and 12 with those kind of wins on their resume and then make a run through the Big Ten tournament, who knows what happens to this team moving forward. Now, final team I want to talk about before we go to the next segment is USC. 20-8, and 12-5 and in the Pac-12. Head coach Andy Enfield has really done something special with the Trojans this year with the amount of injuries that they have experienced. They've jumped up to 49th in the net, 41st in Ken Palm with a strength of record all the way up there at 38th. Right now, Lenardi's got them on the last four ends, uh, last four in, and that's largely because of their signature win over UCLA. Now, this is a team who only loses to quality opponents, 18 and three outside quad one. They lead the Pac-12 in a fo- offensive efficiency and turnover margin. I think USC, if given the opportunity once again, can make a run, especially with the current landscape of college basketball. All right, moving on from our bubble segment now, we're going to kick it over to our weekly awards. We've got Player of the Week, Coach of the Week, Mid-Major of the Week, Performance of the Week. Stay tuned for all of that. We are going to talk about our Team of the Week in the next segment. All right, Team of the Week time, and that is going to be none other than the Kansas Jayhawks this week. And for the first time all year, obviously we've had the carousel going on at number one. But I really think this is a team that looks like it can repeat as national champions. And that's saying something, especially after the roster turnover uh, that they've had as of late. Five consecutive wins over quad one opponents in the last two weeks. Kansas plays right now the nation's toughest schedule, according to the net, and still boasts a top 15 offense and defense in college basketball, according to Ken Palm. 
Uh, Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick have always been heralded as a top-notch duo, but have really ascended to elite status throughout their dominant month of February. Combined 35 points a game, 13 rebounds a game between them this month, and Bill Self has really had this team ready to win any type of game night in and night out. Whether they shoot the the lights out or they have to smother you with their physical defense, they can beat you in any way, and that's why they're my team of the week. This week, and really, if nothing drastically changes, they're going to be my favorite heading into March Madness. So, player of the week, that's Jalen Pickett of Penn State. This kid's doing everything he can do to try and lead the Nittany Lions to the NCAA tournament. And he had himself a week with a pair of 30-plus point performances against Illinois and Minnesota last week. Tuesday saw him torch a stout Illinois defense for 41 points on 75% shooting. And then he also dished out eight assists in that win. Big resume-boosting victory for Penn State there. They then took care of business, which is so important to do against struggling teams such as Minnesota on Saturday. Pickett nearly posted a triple-double with 32, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, and a blowout win. Penn State's got a precarious position on the bubble, and the Nittany Lions will need all they get they can get from their superstar senior throughout the home stretch if they want to secure a bid. Performance of the week this week, that's going with last week's player of the week, Trace Jackson Davis. He continues to spearhead Indiana's second-half dominance, and he's doing so by posting video game numbers night in and night out against stiff Big Ten defenses. In a must-win game against Illinois last week, he tore up the stat sheet. 26 uh, points, 12 rebounds, 5 blocks that all came in the second half in a thrilling 71-68 comeback win. He absolutely slammed the door in the second half. Once again, 5 blocks and 3 steals, all coming on crucial possessions it felt like. He turned into a complete brick wall down the stretch for Indiana. Next up, we already talked about him a little bit. My coach of the week is Mark Adams from Texas Tech. Now, like I, like we said, as we turn the page to February, Texas Tech was 0-8 in conference play. We were ready to call this season a wash for Texas Tech and move on to the 2024 campaign. But since the month began, Mark Adams has rallied the troops. Four wins over quad one opponents, as we mentioned. He has stormed back into contention for an at-large bid. They've ascended to the next four out, according to the net, and they have done it behind one of the best defenses in the nation over the past three weeks. Texas Tech, fifth in college basketball in the past four games on the defensive end. Moving on, final award, our mid-major of the week, it's Oral Roberts. Second time this year they've won that award, and they're really starting to look like more like the Cinderella team of destiny this year. 12 straight wins, 16-0 in conference play with two games left on the schedule. They are surprisingly battle-tested for a Summit League team. Their four losses have an average net rank of 22nd in the nation. That's by far the highest of any mid-major school. And these starters return, or they return three starters from their miracle run to the Sweet 16 back in 2021. And that's obviously including the nation's third leading scorer, Max Asmus. This team will blitz you to death with a three-point barrage. They play at one of the highest tempos in college basketball. And that is what makes them such a nightmare to play against. And that's what I think is going to make them such a handful in March. I've got Oral Roberts going far in this tournament, assuming they aren't dealt too tough of a draw. I assume they're probably going to be on the 12 line, but we will see. Without further ado, it is time to get to Hofstra head coach Speedy Claxton. We're going to talk about the coaches he's played for in the past, what he's learned throughout his young coaching career, and his vision for Hofstra basketball moving forward. Once again, thank you so much to the Hofstra Chronicle for setting up the interview. And without further ado, enjoy, folks. Ready, coach? Yeah. 
So I want to take you back first. This article is kind of about, you know, your playing days, all the great coaches you've played for and how you've used that to turn this program into what it is so quickly. And, you know, when I was looking at when you were playing, I think Coach Popovich is the first one that comes to mind. Going back to your time in San Antonio, what are some of the, the biggest things you can recall from playing for, for him? Um, honestly, the biggest thing is treating the first and the last guy on the bench the same way. Um, if your star player is messing up, um, you got to get on him just like you're going to get on the last guy because then, then you gain their respect. Um, yeah. If you just let the your star player do whatever he wants and you just start yelling at your last guy, they, they don't, these kids don't respect that. So I try to get on everybody the same. And Steven just mentioned Jay Wright. You know, the way he ran this program while you were here, do you kind of t- do you take any of that in the way you run the program now? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's different times. Um, Coach Wright practices, um, they were a lot harder than mine are. Um, but that's just the nature and the landscape of college basketball. We really can't push these kids that hard. We can't practice that long. Like back then, we would practice two times a day can't do that anymore. These kids aren't built like that. Um, but as far as the intensity, um, that's the same as coach, as the coach right practice. What was the moment, whether it was when you were playing or when you went, you know, now, when, what was the moment where you said, I want to coach? That's the next thing I want to do. Uh, probably my last year in the NBA when I was playing for Golden State Warriors. Um, during one of the pra- after one of the practices, Don Nelson, who was the coach at the time, he came in. I guess he kind of saw how I was interacting with the players, and I was kind of like a coach on the floor. Um, so after- afterwards, he came to me. And he- obviously, my career was winding down. And he was like, Speedy, have you ever thought about culture, getting into culture? And at that point, I, I hadn't. Um, but then that's who prompted. He was like, I think you- I said that to him. I was like, no, nah, not really. He was like, I think you should look into it. You should think about it. I think you'll make a hell of a coach. And um, I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? If a Hall of Fame is telling me that, I better I better listen. I want to take it to now. So you were, you know, you've been here for just two years, but you've already had a bunch of incredibly skilled guards commit here and play for you. You know, Aaron, Tyler, JC, I can go on and on. When coaching the position specifically, what's one thing you try to instill in all of them? That's part of the game. Um, just being a coach on the floor and you know seeing the game, um, you know one step one step ahead. I think when you do that as a guard, um, you'd be a pretty good guard when you see the play develop before it actually happens. So in your coaching style, we talked about the guys that you played for. What's something you kind of hinted at it with Coach Wright? What's something you might do differently now than the guys that you played for and the guys that have inspired you? Something I would do differently. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I really play for a lot of great coaches. So I just pick and choose from each and every one. Um, something I take from them. So culture is one of the biggest things that people judge college basketball programs. Culture on. is everything. Yeah, you, you have to have a good culture. Um, and that was one of the things that I didn't. I, I would say last year our culture was good. It wasn't great. Um, I think that's that's why the season ended the way it did. And you know, coming into this year, I wanted to create a better culture. Um, you know, um, last year I just went out and just met, tried to amass talent, and then this year I wanted to put together a team. I think we did that, and that's why our culture is good. And then, you know, when you have a really good player like Aaron Estrada who leads by example. Um, 
he he's in the gym working out, you know, two three times a day, and you know other guys see that and they just follow his lead. What's it been like coaching a guy like Aaron? I mean, it's a special talent. It's tremendous. Um, you know, he makes he makes my job a lot easier because he's somebody that you kind of just get you kind of just give him the ball, put him in the ball screen, and he's gonna be able to make a play for himself or somebody else. The the instant success we just talked about culture that this team has had over the past two years. You know, four, twenty wins in each of the first two years. What does that say about the culture that you and your staff have built here? Um, no, we, we we picked up right where um, Coach Mahalik left off. Um, uh, Mahalik did an outstanding job, so I wanted to come in and you know just keep it going. I didn't want to take a step back, and um, I think we're doing a really good job of that. When you think about guys like Aaron, this team has always been offensively capable, especially last year. But especially this year and more towards the second half of the year, the, the defense has really taken off. What do you attribute to that? Yeah, um, we, we know... We know we were we knew we were a talented offensive team, but um, offense win games and defense win championships, and we won won the championship. So we knew that we were going to take steps in the right direction, and you know give it all give it our all on the defense end if we wanted to win the championship. And then we're doing a really good job of that. So I think this is a good one to finish on. When you took over, or even now, what's what, what's the vision like for this program? What's your 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 vision for Hofstra basketball? Our uh, vision is simple: win championships, win games, um, compete at a high level. Um, you know, play a really tough non-conference schedule, play the best of the best, and um, just compete day in day out. You think? I mean, you played a top 25 toughest non-conference schedule in the country. How do you think that's helped you towards the end of the season? I mean, when you play against good competition, um, it, it, it only gets you better. Um, and that's why we try to play such a hard non-league schedule because um, if we can compete against some of the top teams when we get into conference play, it's going to be a little little bit easier. You know, we, we're going to be playing against light-sized teams. And, you know, um, that's, why, that's, why we, that's ultimately why we play a tough non-league schedule. We talked about Aaron, but the role of JC this year, I think, is something incredible because it's, it's something you hardly see in the sport anymore. Yeah. JC What's it been like has been outstanding for us. Um, I, when, I, when I inserted him into the starting lineup against Iona, I, I honestly think that's where we took off. Um, you could just see that the guys, you know, they gravitate towards him and they like playing with him. And then... I, we just shot. We 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 went right from there. Um, and I think he he's he's the, he's you know he's the he's the one that kind of keeps everybody together. Um, he's a natural born leader, and the guys looked looked you know they looked to him for leadership. When you're recruiting, especially at a small school like this, it's very rare that coaches are this successful, especially in the transfer portal so fast. What what's life like on the recruiting trail? Um, you know, it hasn't been too difficult. We've been getting some really good players. Um, you know, starting last year with Zach Cooks and, um, you know, Dawnstone Dubois, and then to Tyler Thomas this year. Um, guys just want to come in here and play and compete for minutes. And, you know, we, we play a, a fun style of basketball on both ends of the court, and guys buy into what we're preaching, and that's why we're successful. Thank you, Coach. That's all, all I right. got. Once again, that was Hofstra head basketball coach Speedy Claxton 
They will play for a regular season title tomorrow, Saturday, 2 p.m. against Northeastern. Once again, folks, thank you for listening to the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. We drop new episodes every Friday. You can follow us on Instagram at Student Section Pod or online at thestudentsection.net. Subscribe to the show. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms. Be sure to download the show, share it with your friends, rate it. That is all the time we have for this week. We will be back next Friday, same time, same place. Whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers this week, folks, enjoy the games. We sleep in May. We'll be right back.